Morning. We are continuing our study in Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to be looking at the first four verses today instead of carving out that entire chapter in one shot. But I can't guarantee that it's going to be any shorter just because it's four verses. So, first four verses. Actually, I want to read chapter three again to sort of set us up for chapter four as we get into it. So, beginning in chapter three of the book of Jonah. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? We've been going through Jonah's journey, his initial fleeing from his response to the Lord's command to go to Nineveh, right? His initial response was to flee. Ultimately, he is swallowed by that fish. We saw in chapter 2 his prayer from the fish and how it was just steeped in Scripture. So many of the Psalms come out there in him. And then last week we covered the the message given to the Ninevites and their response, their response of repentance. And so now into chapter 4. Gonna, let's pray before we get into this. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share the scriptures with this congregation. Uh, help us to glean knowledge of you from it, a deeper appreciation for your love for us and what you have done for us. Um, Help us apply this to our lives. 
Help us appreciate and love Christ even more because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the verse one of chapter four, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So what is the it, right? Something has displeased Jonah exceedingly and he's angry. What is it? Well, we look back at the end of chapter three. The it is God's mercy shown to the Ninevites, their repentance. The king's proclamation where he said, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that he may not, we may not perish. He has this decree that's been published. Jonah's aware of this decree. And then it tells us in chapter 10 how God ultimately responded to that, where he saw what they did, he, how they turned from their evil way, and he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So Jonah is angry at God because the Ninevites repented. He is angry that they are not going to be destroyed. Some of the studying I did, they said there's the literal Hebrew translation there, translates literally to, it was evil to Jonah as a great wrong. So he saw the repentance of the Ninevites, and he took it as this is an evil thing that they would repent. It's a great wrong. God would forgive them, that they would be able to partake in God's mercy. So much does he hate the Ninevites that even when they receive God's mercy, he sees it as an evil thing. We know God is not capable of evil. Jonah does not, he's not getting that. But he, his, his dislike, his hatred of the Ninevites is so great that when God shows them mercy, shows them his grace, he gets angry. It's uh, interesting to consider the swap in positions. So the message that Jonah preached in chapter 3 was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So God was angry at the Ninevites. There was prophesied judgment coming. Now Jonah's angry. We've had a change in positions here. God was angry because of the evil committed by the Ninevites. We, I've talked in the previous weeks about all the terrible things that they've, the Ninevites recorded in stone that they did to people and all the idols they worshipped. Right? God is angry over to, at them because of that. And now Jonah's angry at them because they received God's mercy. Right, what's, that, what's that tell us about Jonah? And, and even to throw a little application in there, right? So you have the Ninevites were enemies of Israel, right? God's chosen people. And they were a cruel and hated enemy, probably one of the worst warring groups that we know about. And they have, they have done nothing to deserve God's grace, right? They, there's nothing about them that says, yeah, give some grace to them. They deserve it, right? But isn't that true of all of us? It's true of the Israelites at that time. They are continual recipients of God's grace. He doesn't destroy them, yet they continue to worship idols and follow other gods, and yet God doesn't destroy them. 
Jonah's national pride in Israel. He is an Israelite. He is a chosen one of God. Gives him so much pride, he doesn't want to see the Ninevites receive that mercy. He wants to see them be destroyed. They are an enemy. He wants justice for Nineveh, not mercy. Uh, There was a a phrase that kept coming up as I was studying this. Uh, One of the preachers, was he kept saying, mercy for me, but not for thee. He wanted to receive mercy. Jonah was in the fish. He is delivered from that death sentence. He receives mercy when he was, he had earned death by fleeing from the Lord. That was, would have been a righteous penalty for him. He receives mercy, and yet when the Ninevites receive mercy, he's angry. He doesn't want them to receive God's mercy. And God would have been justified to destroy Nineveh. They're, like I had said, there's nothing about them that would have God point to them and say, look at them, they deserve some grace, they deserve some mercy, I I shouldn't destroy them, look how good they are. There's nothing about them that would, would say that they deserve it. And like I was saying, the same thing goes for Israel, yet they continue to receive God's mercy. They too were deserving of destruction. They were steeped in idol worship. We had, when I studied chapter 1, I took you to 2 Kings chapter 14, which is one of the other mentions of Jonah. Uh, but prior to where it talks about Jonah, it talks about, like, well, what are the Israelites doing at this time? And it describes, it says, the king at that time, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So Jeroboam, son of Nebat, if you go, I bring up my, I have a nice app on my phone, Lagos, you can search through the scriptures, and you search for Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And all these different kings that came after him, they always refer back to him and say they all, they all have done the same evil sins that he did. So I'm like, well, what, what was his evil sin that he did? So when the kingdoms of split into northern and southern kingdoms, he was in the kingdom where the temple was not. So as he decided, like, well, we're, we're going to worship but we're going to set up our own areas. We're going to, he made two golden caps and like, put them in different areas of the country and said, you're going to worship these. These are representatives of God. And he established priests who were not Levites. So he, he does this like weird trying to like worship God thing, but completely out of God's prescription that he's given. And then on top of that, now they import in idols and mix all that in. It's just a big mess of idolatry and doing things their own way and ultimately dishonoring God and failing to worship him in the way he has prescribed. So that's all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's, that's where Israel's at. They're, they're, still, they're still steeped in it, in this kingdom. So that's where Israel's at, completely deserving of the judgment of God, which ultimately 
if we continue to study through Scripture, we see that does happen. God does use Assyria to punish Israel. They are deported. But if you, if you study some history, you'll see Assyria is this warring nation, and then there's like this 40-year like gap where they, they take a break. They sort of take a little time off, and then they get back to it again. Well, 40 years is like the typical length of a generation in most societies. And so it's, uh, I think that 40-year gap was Jonah went and preached to the Ninevites, and they repented, and they stopped. God showed mercy to Israel through showing mercy to the Ninevites. They didn't come attack Israel during that amount of time. And that same passage in Kings, Second Kings, tells us that the northern borders of Israel were expanded, and Jonah prophesied about that. That's the mention of Jonah. So you have these things all coincide, I think. It's not like specific, explicitly spelled out in that way, but I'm, I'm drawing like the lines or the dots are connecting for me as I study this. So God shows mercy to Israel by showing mercy to the Ninevites. This, this generation of Ninevites repents. And we know if you go to the Gospels, Christ says that the Ninevites will stand up at the judgment and condemn that generation. There will be Ninevites in heaven, in glory. There, it was a true repentance. So it's just seeing the, the mercy and grace of God working on the behalf of the Ninevites, working on behalf of Israel. It's just a beautiful thing that he's doing here. But yet Jonah is upset that God has chosen Nineveh to be an object of God's grace. We don't hear him complaining about God's long suffering with Israel. All the things that Israel does wrong, Jonah's not complaining about those. He's complaining about Israel's enemy being saved. And so, in that verse, Jonah's not complaining about justice and mercy, but he's complaining about the object of that justice and mercy from God. I know it doesn't say it explicitly, but the thing that he's complaining about points us to that. You know, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What is it? Well, it is that the Ninevites had repented, and, and God is... Seemingly relenting. If we keep going through chapter 4, you see eventually Jonah goes up to a, outside the city, and he, he seemingly sets up a place where he wants, to, he wants to take it in, just in case God still destroys Nineveh. So I don't, at, in the beginning of chapter 4, I don't know if it's perfectly clear that God understands, that, that Jonah understands that God is relenting of his punishment of the Ninevites. But he does know that the Ninevites are repenting, and he knows God's nature. He knows yeah, God can still punish you after you repent. He is, he is free to do that. But he's also gracious and often withholds that punishment. So he's, he's thinking, well, they're repenting, so it's probably not going to happen now. But he still goes up eventually to see, like, well, maybe it'll still happen, and I can just watch him get destroyed. And there's, a mount, there's some irony in Jonah's anger at them receiving mercy. As we think back through the prior chapters in Jonah, 
of all the mercy that God showed to Jonah, right? He sustained him through the storm. He sustained him in the depths of the ocean by having him swallowed by a fish. He sustained him in the fish. He's eventually spit out on dry land. He sustains him going through Nineveh, preaching to the Ninevites, these warring people. There's a, I'm sure Jonah was concerned for his own safety as he goes into the city of Nineveh. Like, what's this Israelite doing here? What's this Hebrew doing here? Get him, right? But they don't. He is sustained. He receives mercy. So there's an irony in all the mercy that's been shown to Jonah, and yet when it is shown to his enemy, he becomes angry. He should have been dead, and yet he's not. And when somebody else receives that same mercy, his response is to get angry. We, we see the pride of Jonah, the arrogance of Jonah exposed here. This, you often get this picture of scripture of the Israelites. We are God's chosen people. Therefore, that makes us awesome. Right? Well, God didn't choose you because of anything you did. He chose you because he chose you. You should not be proud of that. It's just you should be should be humbled by it. You should be you should love God even more for grace you have received undeservingly. Into verse two. It says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? We find here why Jonah fled. It says, I made, I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He knew the character of God, and he knew if I go to Nineveh and I preach to them, God is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from disaster. If I go and preach to them, there's a good chance God is going to save them, and I don't want that to happen, so I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go as far as I can from here. That's his intention back in chapter 1. But now we see Jonah's response when something happens he doesn't like. Right? So his, he was angry, but now instead of getting up and fleeing again, trying to get away from God, his response is he prays. So I think we see some amount of growth in Jonah. We're seeing a little sanctification going on in him. So now he is moving towards God in prayer as opposed to fleeing. And I think at the same time, if Jonah hasn't learned that he can't escape from God, he probably hasn't learned anything, right? We've seen that. He understands the character of God. He doesn't want... God show mercy to these Ninevites. And he knows how God will respond when there is a repentant heart. And so how does he know this? He knew the scriptures. That's how he knows the character of God. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. I can find it here. Exodus 
This is Moses on the mountain interacting with God. God is giving him the tablets. And Moses desires to see God, right? And God hides him. Like, go hide in the rock. You can see my backside. Chapter 34 of Exodus, verses 6 and 7 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. So this is God speaking. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So there you have God describing himself. He's saying he is merciful, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in steadfast love. His love is consistent and faithfulness. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. But then it goes on and says he is still a God of justice. Right? He will still punish the guilty. So Jonah knows God's character from the scriptures. Again, that psalm that I read earlier for the scripture reading, Psalm 103. I want to look at verses 8 through 13 there specifically. So Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8. Here it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I sound like a broken record, right? I keep talking, I keep reading about the the slow to anger, the mercifulness, the compassion, the graciousness, the steadfast love. Jonah's familiar with his scriptures. Psalm 86, this is the last, last turning you'll do, okay? Psalm 86, verse 5, <clears throat> says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Right? Jonah knows the goodness of God abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. What were the Ninevites doing? They were calling upon the Lord. Verse 15 of that same psalm says, But you, O Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So Jonah's statement in verse 2 of chapter 4, where he says, I knew that you are a God of a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's not pulling that out of a vacuum. He didn't just sit down and say, you know, I think God's gracious and he's he's abounding in mercy and he's got steadfast love. No. He knew that from the scriptures. It's throughout. And you get this picture as you study Jonah, that Jonah is a man acquainted with with the scriptures very well. And, and it seems to me the Psalms are very deep within Jonah. 
because as we got into chapter two, it was just I was just pulling quotes constantly from the Psalms as we as we looked at chapter two. And again I see it here in verse two of Jonah of chapter four. And yet Jonah seems to think that God is wrong in this case. God is flawed in the application of his mercy to the Ninevites, right? He's displeased exceedingly and he's angry. It was evil to Jonah as a great wrong was another one of the the literal translations that I came across. He thinks God's got it wrong here. He shouldn't have done this. This is not the way to go about this, right? If we had our choice of how things would happen, he'd be like, well, don't do it like that. I'm going to do it like, I would do it like this, right? That's, that's, we are flawed. We don't have God's knowledge. And Jonah is much the same. He is wrong. Jonah is seeking his own glory, not the glory of God. So how merciful of God, how gracious, how generous of God to forgive sinners, right? The Ninevites of all people, those who are so terrible a people, and yet how wonderful of God to show mercy to them. You know, the greater the sin, the greater the grace. And the greater the grace, how much greater the glory. How much glory does God receive when such a great sinning people as the Ninevites repent? And Jonah is angry about it. You continue to study through chapter 4. You don't ultimately figure out where Jonah ends up here. You have It finishes with God's like final statement to Jonah, and then that's, that's it. We don't know exactly what happens to Jonah. But you've seen, as, as I, I think we see as we study through Jonah... Jonah growing. It may not be a lot, but he is growing. He is slowly being sanctified. He is becoming more of what God wants him to be. You don't see that direct outcome here in chapter 4, but I, just some of his reactions. He, he ultimately does what God tells him to do. When he's angry about what happens, he prays to the Lord. He doesn't get up and run again. So we do see Jonah growing some. Not tremendously, but some. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You don't see that in Jonah. Right? I there's, there's some good lessons here. Of You don't know exactly Jonah's life. You don't know what he's experienced. You don't know exactly where he's coming from. But we can look at his response and say, okay, I don't want to respond like that. If I'm in a similar situation, I want to be growing in the Lord, so I respond rightly. You see, Jonah's concerned about himself and his nation. He's concerned about Israel. He does not want to see God's mercy extended to Nineveh. There's a term I kept, I heard in one guy that was preaching, he kept saying it's a meology. So you've heard of theology, but there's, he says meology. So Jonah's the focus of his theology. He's, he's man-centered. He wants what he wants. 
not God-centered. It's not necessarily what God wants. It's what Jonah wants. And so in verse 3, we get into, it says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah would rather die than see this plan of God carried out. He would rather die than have the Ninevites repent. His discouragement is great. The repentance of the Ninevites is so repulsive to Jonah, so depressing, he'd rather be dead. It's an interesting thing to dwell upon. Your enemy turns to the Lord, and your response, instead of glorifying the Lord, is to wish you were dead. And there's a lot, I think there's a lot of things you can see maybe going on with Jonah here. So, Jonah doesn't want to be a false prophet. He goes to Nineveh, Nineveh preaches judgment to them, and instead of his prophecy being fulfilled, God relents. They don't get destroyed. Oh, what's this Jonah guy? He's a false prophet, right? We had covered some in the previous chapters where God had put in place prior to this. He said, if you do this, judgment. If you repent, mercy. He had laid out a plan for that. And we know Jonah's, he said, 40 days and you'll be destroyed. So this is a a warning of pending destruction. So there's some concern of Jonah being, I'm a false prophet, I can't can't deal with that, right? Um, There's another theory that I come across where... Jonah, maybe Jonah was thinking, well, if God just destroys Nineveh, if he just wipes them off the map, maybe then the Israelites, maybe my nation will see that and say, well, we better straighten up because God is just going to crush us otherwise, right? Which there's some, I think there's something to that. But are we to desire the mercy of God because we're afraid of receiving punishment? Isn't the better thing to say, look at the mercy of God. Look at how gracious he's been. Look at what he, who he saved. I want that. That's amazing. I would love to have his mercy showered on me. Right? This idea that maybe Israel will see Nineveh and say, what kind of God pardons them? What are we doing? Why are we rebelling against him? Right? Let's straighten this act out. Maybe... Maybe that's the response that should happen, right? But Jonah desires to die rather than see them repent and God's punishment not acted out on them, right? He's just accomplished the work that God intended for him, the saving of the Ninevites, how great a victory, but he doesn't see it that way. Those going through this passage and going through the little notes there, there was a reference to, to 1 Kings 19, so I chased it down. And in, in 1 Kings 19, you have Elijah, and this is just after Elijah has destroyed the prophets of Baal, right? They have the, the altars set up, and he's, oh, prophets of Baal, call down fire, have your God 
take up your sacrifice, right? And meanwhile, Elijah's like pouring water on his sacrifice and like submerging it and making it as impossible as it can be for it to be burned up. And nothing, nothing happens with the prophets of Baal's sacrifice and God sends flames and takes up Elijah's sacrifice. And then Elijah pursues the prophets of Baal and they're all killed, right? And so this, this great victory for Elijah and, and then he, he, he runs some more, and a messenger is sent from Jezebel and Ahab that, we're going to kill you. Like, you're done. We can't, we can't abide this. And Elijah's response says, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Right, so even after this great victory, Elijah, he desires, just, just kill me. This is too hard. I was, uh, maybe the Israelites would turn from their idol worship, but instead they double down on it after they see this. Like, I, I, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Just kill me. And ultimately, God does not kill him. God sustains him. We have this great victory followed by this just feeling of defeat, right? The outcome that they desired didn't happen. So then, well, I can't do this, right? Your plan is I, I can't go along with your plan anymore. Just, just kill me. So what should our response be of seeing mercy poured out? Should it be a desire to die? <laughs> My enemy's been saved. Woe is me. Kill me now, Lord. Right? It seems silly to think that way to us. And, and thinking about Jonah, the, the grace of God that sustained his life, that preserved him in the great fish, and even now when he wishes to die, God is still gracious, doesn't give him what he deserves, right? He is still deserving of death. He doesn't leave him there. He doesn't grant his request. Jonah still, I think, has some growing to do. He's being sanctified. Verse 4 gives us the Lord's response to Jonah's lamentation in the first three verses there. It says, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And that's in the ESV. The New American Standard says, Do you have a good reason to be angry? And again, the New King James says, Is it right for you to be angry? (laughs) Is this a righteous anger that you have right now, Jonah? That's God's response to, to Jonah being so angry and and desiring to die over this thing, right? So just love God answers with a question, right? Which I love doing that to my kids. They're doing something that, I mean, Audrey has no idea yet, but Paul can be like, what are you doing? Do you understand me? I just, sometimes asking a question causes them to pause and think, and sometimes they just, Keep going, like he's four. Um, But God's response to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry? He answers him with a rhetorical question, a soft answer. It's meant to probe the reasoning of Jonah. And next week we'll get into the rest of chapter four, which will give, God gives some reasoning there. 
But is it righteous, O Jonah, to be angry over the repentance of sinners, of the glory of God, the advancement of God's kingdom, to be some to be angry about something that angels rejoice over? Right? How foolish of Jonah to be angry about this thing. Right? That, that that's what that's what God's question points him to. Like you're being ridiculous, Jonah, knock it off. It reveals the sin in Jonah's heart, his anger at these people, him not seeing himself rightly. And you, you see all, there are other examples in the Old Testament of God asking questions from people. Does God have to ask a question? Does he really need your answer? He's like, oh man, Jonah, why are you angry? I don't understand, right? Is it, do you have a good reason? Maybe I don't understand your reason, Jonah. Right? Now, God's fully aware of why Jonah's angry. This is a question for Jonah's benefit. You, you see this throughout it. in Genesis, whenever Adam and Eve sin, right? God says, where are you, Adam? Why are you hiding? What are you doing? Now, who told you you were naked, right? What have you done? Consider what you're doing, these actions you're taking, why are you taking them, right? When Cain kills Abel, God says to Abel, where is Abel? God knows where Abel is. He doesn't have to learn that from Cain. And I think Cain's response is, am I my brother's keeper, right? It's pointing out the, the sin that is in his heart. In the book of Job, so much terribleness happened to Job, right? And and all his friends are, oh, you got all these, maybe it happened because of this, this, and this. And eventually you get to God's response to Job. And God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Like, who are you? You're sitting here complaining about all these things that have happened to you. And how you're, you're just, it's, you're not worthy of it. Like, who are you? Did you make everything? No, no you didn't, right? Puts Job in his proper perspective. This question from God is proof that Jonah's heart needs ongoing work, much like ours do. He needs further growth. He needs to learn more of who God is and make his thinking more in line with God's thinking. So thinking back on the previous portions of Jonah and how he preaches this message to them and they ultimately repent, right? Get this approaching others about sin in their life as believers to other believers is not to should be done as a warning for them to avoid punishment, right? To, if you keep following this path, God has consequences built in. You will experience those negative things. I don't want that for you. I want you to walk with the Lord. If we don't do it in hope that they will receive punishment, right? You say, hey, you keep doing that. You know, Here's what's going to happen to you, and I can't wait to see it happen, right? No, it's, please, change. I don't want that for you. So Jonah pronounced judgment on the Ninevites for their sins with the hope that they would receive that due penalty for their sins. He wasn't hoping that they would turn away. He was hoping they'd be destroyed. And some of this, we, we do this ourselves. We, we look at other people, we consider them to be more sinful than we are, right? We say, 
they should deserve some punishment. They, they don't deserve God's grace because they're a worse person than I am. Um, we think we're better than they are, that we somehow merit receiving God's grace, that we've somehow done something that we deserve it, and yet they don't. Where we're all dead in our sins and trespasses, not, not just the people that are worse than us, it's, it's us as well. And Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In chapter 1, he describes all these different sins that are happening, and the, you know, they'll receive the due penalty for that. But then in the chapter 2, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So this picture of even you're pointing out all this sin in them, and meanwhile you do the same things. Your life is full of sin as well. And again, you presume on the kindness of God. You haven't addressed this in your own lives. So God has saved me because he is gracious, not because of anything I've done, anything he saw in me, but he chose to show me mercy. And that should cause us to be eternally grateful. And I was thinking on how Jonah's so angry that they repent, right? He's just, he's... It's exceedingly evil, right? And Luke 15, 7 tells us, Christ speaking says, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jonah's anger over these repentant sinners is completely out of line with God's heart, right? And just so we're clear, where it talks about 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, there, there are no 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's sort of pointing to those who, who think they're so good that they don't bother repenting, right? The only one who ever had no need for repentance was Christ. People only think they don't need repentance. So it brings much glory to God when he shows mercy to sinners. And every single one of the sinners whom he shows mercies to is completely undeserving of it. This, it is not about you, right? It's, it is about Christ. It is about God being glorified. It brings God much glory when he saves sinners. And you see, Jonah had received so much grace from God, but now he objects when God shows that same grace to the Ninevites, his enemies. So ultimately, God is the standard. He is the one who decides what is right and wrong. He is the one who provides mercy or doesn't provide mercy, who provides punishment or relents from that punishment. And those of us who know him, who know Christ, should take much comfort in that. And it's, it should, it's a beautiful thing to think about the 
mercy that has been shown uh, so undeservedly. I'll close with the word of prayer. Dear Lord, I am so grateful for the scriptures, the examples that you've given us of your love, your mercy, your kindness, your graciousness. We're so grateful for those of us that have received your grace that you have chosen to show that to us, Lord. We pray for those who don't know you, that they would come to a knowledge of you, Lord, that they would, they would turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Jonah and the Ninevites received favor and uh, mercy, as they turned to God, as we turn to God, God desires us to live for him. Our response is that we would give him our life. And uh, we kind of do that grudgingly. And God just wants us to hand it over and to enjoy him and to follow him. So let's sing 460. We're going to sing the first verse uh, to close today, uh, number 460. Only one life to offer, Jesus my Lord and King. Only one tongue to praise Thee, and of Thy mercy sing. Only one heart's devotion, Savior all may it be. Consecrated alone to thy matchless glory, yielded fully to thee. Our great God, thank you for your love shown to us. Thank you for this time to remember as we read Jonah and study from it that many times our response is not so gracious. We don't always turn and look at you and say, here, freely, I want to love you and, and show mercy and grace. And You show us so much. Help us just to be able to give our lives to you, Lord, to focus on you, to make our joy the relationship we have with you. So as we leave today, get us focused on you. Keep us that way through the week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.